Well, let me begin by saying good morning, church. It is good to be in the house of the Lord on this morning, and I pray that you all have been blessed by uh, the service thus far. And by the way, thank you to everyone who has played a part uh, in the service, especially those who have walked or rather worked uh, behind the scenes. Thank you so much, and may the Lord's blessings be upon you. And again, welcome to anyone who might be a visitor. We are very, very happy to have you. And again, I hope that uh, this time has been a blessing for you. Those of you all who have been here, you will know that we are steadily making our way through 1 John, and we only have a few sermons left um, in this short letter. So be praying that we can end this letter well. Uh, We should be ending at the end of this month. Also, just as a side note, at the end of this month, I hope to get up here and give you all an update on the vision casting process. And so be praying uh, for that as well. Again, that will occur toward the end of this month. Amen? So that being said, if you're physically able, I will ask you to rise for the reading of the Lord's Word. The scripture for this morning comes from 1 John chapter 3. I'll be reading verses 11 through 24. I'll pray afterwards and then you can take a seat. The word of the Lord reads as follows. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers or brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers, or again, brothers and sisters. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment 
that we believe in the, in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that, we abide, that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Father, we come now to your word. And we pray that your spirit will give us eyes to see, ears that will hear, and mold our hearts that we may be shaped by your word. We thank you so much for this time, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Pastor Stan last week alluded to the fact that the Apostle John in this letter often repeats himself. And we will see instances of that even in this particular passage. But one of the things that I find myself asking as I look and read through John's letter is why is there such an emphasis Imagine that if John were in school today, of course he would major in Christ, but he would perhaps have a minor in love. Love is something that really, really stands out for John. And in the back of my mind, I ask, why is this such a prominent thing? Why does he say it? at one point, and then he comes back to it in the same letter at another point, and then he comes back to it later on, and he just consistently speaks upon this subject. And I think that there might be a few reasons. It's not necessarily an either-or, but John is one who has been greatly affected by the love of Christ. And as a result, it bears uh, heavy upon him, and as such, he speaks a great deal about it. There could be the possibility that amongst his audience, for some, love was absent. As a matter of fact, when you read through various portions of Scripture, you will see the authors often addressing specific issues in that church. And so there could be a possibility that there were some folks in his audience, who were not doing a great job of loving the way that Christ would have them to love. Another reason could be that many within his audience were new believers, and the idea of love uh, was not fully developed. And as such, he is trying to help them grow in this aspect of their faith. Another reason could be that he is counteracting false teachings on love. You will recall that earlier in his letter, uh, he is addressing some of the false teachings as it relates to the person of Jesus Christ. And if these folks were teaching John's audience an incorrect view of Christ, there is a possibility that they could also have been teaching an incorrect view of love. And again, I don't think it's an either-or. The reality is it can be a mix 
of all of these things. But one thing we cannot deny is that love is high upon John's priority list. So that being said, <clears throat> I've broken up this passage into four specific um, points, if you will. The first comes from verses 11 through 15. It reads, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil. And Cain's, or rather, uh, Abel's, were righteous. Now, he goes on, because of his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. For we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. These first few verses, John, on some level, is giving us an example of what love is not. What Christ-like love is not. And he uses the example of Cain. And for those of you all who may not be familiar with this story, uh, at some point you should read through Genesis chapter 4. And you will see or you will note that Cain and Abel are brothers and they are children of Adam and Eve. And of course, Adam and Eve fell as a result of disobedience to God and it affected not only them, but it affected their children in addition to all of creation. And here we have two brothers you would think, you would imagine that love would be strong when it comes to family ties. But yet, John is showing that here is an example of brothers, one who was righteous, one who was evil, and we see an example of what love is not in the form of Cain. Cain, we are told, murdered his brother. And it wasn't because his brother had done anything that was worthy of death or anything like that. We're not told that, that Abel deceived his brother as Jacob deceived Esau. Abel was righteous. Abel was a lover of God. And yet, Cain murders his own brother. Now, the question becomes, in what ways have we played the role of Cain? This is not to suggest, of course, that, that we have physically murdered someone. But as you see, even in verse number 15, everyone who hates his brother or his sister is a murderer. Jesus says this very thing in the Gospels. Your attitude. Put it this way, there may be someone, a family member, a friend, or whatnot. You, you, you may not have physically slapped them or 
You might not have cursed them out, but you are thinking it. And Jesus would say that is just as bad as if you actually did it. This is why he can say that if you actually hate someone, it's as if you are a murderer. And of course, brothers and sisters, we have to be very, very careful of our attitudes, our minds, our thinking as it relates to our brothers and our sisters. And this is not to suggest that our brothers and sisters will always do right by us. Jesus loved the unlovable. Jesus loved the sinner. Before we even proclaim the name of Christ, his love was set upon us, and as a result, we would come to know him. And so our attitudes toward our brothers and sisters should not be dictated by how they have responded to us, albeit that's very easy to do. Our attitudes and thinking about our brothers and sisters should be guided by Christ. And if Christ calls us to love even our enemies, how much more should we be loving our brothers and our sisters? And again, if we are honest, this is not always easy. And I've said this in a previous sermon. Some of the hardest people to love are those that are closest to us. And then not even that, but there are times, and, and I say this as a minister, there are countless stories of pastors going out and loving on the church, loving on their community, loving on their neighbors, but doing a poor job of loving their family. And so we cannot assume, I'll put it this way, I want to be careful. Yes, I promote, I believe the scriptures teach us to go out and love others, those that are strangers, those that may not be like us. Go out and love those outside of these walls. But at the same time, don't neglect to love your brother and your sister as well. Cain failed to do this. And his example is in the scriptures for us to be mindful of. And so, brothers and sisters, let us be careful of not behaving as Cain behaved toward his brother. Amen? Verse number 16 through 18, we get an example of what Christ, or rather what love looks like in the person of Christ, of course. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What does love look like? He points the audience to Christ. The audience does not get to determine what love looks like. John does not get to determine what love looks like. Christ is the one who determines what true love looks like. 
And Christ did this by way of his life. Yes, Christ came. He taught. He did all of these wonderful things. And ultimately, he laid down his life in the form of the cross. And he did it for you and for me. This is great love. This is love we could not have earned. This is love we could not have paid for. This is love that we could do nothing in and of ourselves to gain. And yet, out of his grace and out of his mercy, Christ poured this love upon you and me. And not only did he lay down his life physically, but he also helped others. He went around healing folks. There were people with countless diseases and infirmities and demon possession, and he would go out and he would heal folks. We know of instances in which he would feed the crowd. Jesus was not just about speaking on love, but he also showed love in tangible ways. And brothers and sisters, and I don't want to assume that this is not the case, but I want to remind us that this is the love that we are to share. This is the love that we are to show others. This love is sacrificial. This love often requires us to deny our own preferences for the sake of others. I used this example uh, in, in one form uh, in a previous sermon, but, but last night I'm eating some good food. And sure enough, my firstborn comes in asking for my food. <laughs> I'm right, Hambu. This is not a made-up story. And I'm looking at my son, and he looks hungry unless he was playing me. And, 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 and my flesh, I, I'm hungry too, and I, this is good food, and I don't want to share it. But because he was my son, I needed to deny myself, and I gave him some of my food. And this is a light example, but the, 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 the point remains that Christ who emptied himself, Christ who came and communicated to those that he was with that he came not to be served, but to serve. If he does this, how much more should we be doing it? Christ-like love is not easy. It's not something that is natural for us. But it is required, and we are helped, obviously, by the Lord's Spirit. And so, brothers and sisters, it's not just a matter of not being like Cain, but it's also loving like Christ. And so John is reminding his audience that this is what love looks like. And he says again, don't just do this in word. Yes, we should communicate. We love one another. We should tell one another we love them. But John says, oh, no, 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 no. It's so much more deeper than that. Show 
that person love and show them not just love, but the love of Christ. Now, moving on in verses 19 through 21, there seems to be somewhat of a uh, disruptive change, so to speak. Many commentators will say that these verses seem somewhat out of place, but, but nonetheless, John puts it in here, and uh, there's some good things to say about it. In verses 19 through 21, he goes on to say, By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. It seems as though he now moves to the concept of doubt and self-condemnation. He moves from what love is not like to what love is like, and now he seems to be talking about the idea of doubt and self-condemnation. And there are many ways or many uh, folks who have looked at this and interpreted it in different ways. But that being said, he just spoke about loving in deed and in truth. And many commentators believe that the transition now is meant to pick those folks up who might be feeling as if they are total failures based on what they just heard. In other words, it's like going and hearing a sermon. And the preacher says something, and it really hits you pretty hard. And it's not just a matter of being convicted, but all of a sudden you take it even further. I'm such a terrible person. I have not loved. I have not done this for my brother or my sister. I have not... I have behaved as if Cain, or as like Cain in some form or fashion. And what he is trying to do is uh, reassure these folks that they are okay in God. Now, of course, there could be the possibility of some false teachers having said some things whereby the people are now condemning themselves based on the false teachings that they were being taught. But nonetheless, John is trying to encourage those who might be experiencing doubt and self-condemnation. And some of us may be experiencing this now. What are the doubts in your heart? What ways are you condemning yourself some of you, are you doubting the fact that God loves you? Are you doubting the fact that Christ will provide? Some of you might have committed some form of sin that you can't forgive yourself for. Others may not be forgiving you for. John says when we find ourselves in some form of doubt, or self-condemnation, when we need reassurance, he reminds us in these verses, specifically 19 through 21, that God is greater than our hearts. 
In other words, if God says you are forgiven and your heart says you are not, go with what God says. If God says you are loved and your heart says you are not worth loving, go with what God says. And may the Spirit help you. And on the reverse side, if I may, if God says you are wrong and your heart says you are right, <laughs> go with what God says. But that's a side note. That's another sermon. But for this particular purpose, if you're feeling down and if you're feeling out and you are feeling like you are struggling as it relates to your living like Christ or whatnot, know that you should place your faith and your eyes on Christ. Yes, none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous in and of ourselves. But if you are in Christ, you are in a good place. And so, brothers and sisters, be reassured that God loves us, that we can love like Christ's love, that we can be forgiven if we've acted like Cain. Know that we can rest assured that this is the case if we place our faith not in our hearts, but in Christ himself. Amen? The closing verses, verses 22 through verses 24, he says, uh, building on that thought, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. For whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. John, he almost simplifies uh, commandment keeping. You know, when you contrast uh, the language of commandment keeping in the new covenant versus commandment keeping in the old covenant, you will see uh, not necessarily that, uh, you know, all of it centers upon Christ. But if you look at face value, you'll see in the Old Testament, we got to do this, we got to do that, we got to do this, got to do that, we can't do this, we can't do that. And again, you know, my purpose is not to talk about, per se, the purposes of the law. But nonetheless, you will see a lot of different things. And John comes here, and by the way, he said in various places, even in this letter, that if you love Jesus, you keep his commandments. In our circles, stuff like that tends to be bad words. When we hear works, when we hear commandments, we almost shiver because of uh, perhaps what others will do with that. But that is Scripture. That is here even in this passage. But what's interesting is John simplifies it. So if you want to know your status before God, if you will, 
Is he, this is what he's saying to his audience. If they're trying to figure out, oh my, you've hit us heavy. Have I loved like Cain or have I behaved like Cain? Am I loving like Christ? Oh my, I'm doubting, I'm struggling. Well, John says, let me conclude this part with giving you a little test. He says, for one, you're called to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Believe in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who has come to take away our sins, the one who has come to show us how to love, the one who has come to to give us life and hope and meaning. Place your faith and trust in him. Not only that, which, of course, that in and of itself, if you will, is what leads us to salvation. But he goes on to say, you cannot stop there. You must love others. I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. I'm at church. I'm singing. I'm worshiping. I'm doing all of this. Hallelujah. I am good. John says, oh, no, 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 no. That's good. But are you loving your brothers and your sisters? So where's your faith in Christ? Where's your love for others? But then he also reminds us of the role somewhat of the Holy Spirit. God gives to you and I his spirit. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. In other words, God knew that we would not be able to walk this life that he has called us to walk in and of ourselves. Loving like Christ, we need some help. Amen? If we tell the truth to do the things that are required of us in the Scripture, the holy things, the supernatural things, it would take God's help. And he has sent forth the Holy Spirit to help us in these things, but not only to help us in these things, but to reassure our hearts and our minds that we are in God. And so, brothers and sisters, again, I don't know where you might be ultimately in your faith, but I would ask you to assess just by way of repeating Have you behaved like Cain? Are you behaving like Cain toward a brother or a sister? If so, you should repent and you should seek that brother or that sister out and ask for forgiveness. Are you loving the way Christ has called you to love? This is important. Love the way Christ has called us to love. If you are struggling with doubt or self-condemnation as it relates to this, place your faith in your sight upon God as opposed to your own heart. And then again, if you want to do a spiritual maintenance test, so to speak, not only think about the things that I've already said, but as he concluded, ask yourself, where's your faith in Christ? Your love toward others. And not only that, but are you relying upon the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's witness? 
May we love like Christ. And as we do, may we be a church that is known for loving the way that Jesus loves. Amen? Father, we bless your most holy name. And Father, we, first of all, ask that you would forgive us for the ways in which we have behaved like Cain. Forgive us for improper thoughts toward our brothers and sisters. Forgive us for the times that we have hated. Forgive us for the times that we have been bitter or jealous. Forgive us for the times in which we have not given our brother and sister or done right by them. Have mercy upon us. And Father, we also pray that by your Spirit you will help us to love the way we have been loved by you. Lord, we confess that this is a hard thing to do. But Father, we know that you have given to us not only an example in Christ, but you have given us your Spirit to help us. And so, Father, may we go out and not only love the world, but may we love the brothers and sisters that we come to church with, that we sleep in the same house with, that we go to work with. May we love with the love of Christ. And Father, for the times in which we find ourselves doubting, when we feel not simply convicted, but self-condemned, reassure our hearts that we are forgiven, that we are loved, and that we are becoming more and more like your Son. Father, we thank you so much for the truth of the Scriptures. May we not only hear it this morning, but may we go out and live it today, tomorrow, and the rest of our lives. And Lord, as we proceed to partaking of this table, we pray indeed that our hearts be, will be reassured of these glorious truths. And it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen.